Thinking Basketball Podcast. My name is Ben. Welcome back to one of my favorite episodes of the year. I, I feel like I can't even talk. The episode hasn't even started. I'm already out of breath just from excitement about compiling the results. Cody, it is, of course, our annual, our fourth annual, or I have no idea how many we've done, annual defensive awards also known lovingly and affectionately as the Thinkies. It is time for the annual Thinkies, where we hand out the best defensive awards in different made-up categories. I think next year, next year we got to update the categories. There's some categories that were a little hard to uh, tackle. Are, are you ready to do this? Uh, to update the awards or do this actual ranking this year? No, Both the Thinkies, very come on. We don't have time to update now. We gotta, we gotta, we're pot committed. It's time to go. Ben, nothing reminds me of how much basketball. Okay, listen, Interstellar. Talking Interstellar, Matthew McConaughey. The film? He's like, yeah, the, the film. Yes, yeah. yes. He's sitting there in a spaceship. He's getting well, spoilers. Sent- don't you know? You can't listen, give it away. This is 2014, right? Like, l- relax. If you haven't seen Interstellar, like, get with the program at this point. Okay, come back in but 30 I- seconds. Skip ahead if you haven't seen Interstellar. Co- Cody, go. You're on the clock. I feel like Matthew McConaughey weeping over years of footage. I that's can't believe me that's preparing I, for this. This is I, this is why I gave the spoiler. That's one of the most powerful <laughs> scenes in the entire film. It captures the heart. Of the movie. That's what you feel like. You've been crying. That's exactly how I feel preparing for this episode. Just crying away. Yeah. Yeah. So let's do this, Ben. Let's let's get into the heart of the defense. Okay. So the idea is uh, that we try to get a, a, you know, perspective from a handful of different voters who will uh, vote on these different awards to figure out who's good at defense. And I think without further ado, the first thinky. We should hand out this year. It's kind of like the Oscars, right? You got to start. You got to start with a big category. You got to start, but you can't go too big, right? What do they start with? Best supporting actor or something? Is that how they like to do it? I think so. And I think like then best actor and actress are in the middle of yeah, the show. Yeah. They space it out. They, they, they space build it out. up. Yeah. yeah. So let so let's start with one that uh, we've termed over the years best nail defender. Best nail defender. This is a, there's a spot in the middle of the floor, middle of the free throw line, called the nail. The concept here is really we're thinking about help position that's not down near the baseline. So these defenders coming over into the driving gap, digging down to help on the ball, gapping, disrupting passing lanes in the middle of the floor, Right, like you help, and then the the pick and roll guy comes and he drives it down the lane. And he kicks it out, and wham! Kawhi Leonard throws up his hands and knocks it away. And someone's sitting on that corner pass. We just did the Jared Vanderbilt video recently. You got one where you got to make that pass to the corner or the wing, and the guy's sitting there. It's all that kind of stuff. Best nail defender. Um, do you have any thoughts before I? We just got to break the seal here and just hand out a thank you. It's been a whole year since we've handed one out. I'm itching to do it. Well, I think what's interesting about nail defender is it almost feels like the category could be like best roamer because it's not necessarily like the paint protector or somebody that's kind of like in the middle of the floor kind of roaming around doing stuff. Like you said, digging, but I also viewed it in my mind is rotating down for backside rim protection sort of thing. So it kind of combines in my mind this ability to maybe, maybe protect the rim at some points, but it's mostly perimeter and like in that middle mid-range area. Yeah, I think roamer implies something especially with the way defenses are played today and maybe it's a category to look at next year it implies something different in the sense that 
you can float around the weak side and help off your man and overload the strong side. And you might be trying to block a shot or under under the basket or in front of the basket trying to deter passes uh, to roll men or cutters or things like that. Whereas you're right, uh, but this is a little different. This to me is like the perimeter version of that. So, so you're not always going to have these players. In fact, I would say most of the time these players don't hang out on the block or in front of the rim, but this is a part of defense now that uh, I think is important. And I actually, before we hand out the thinky here, Cody, let's build a little bit more suspense. Um, Cause one thing I realized throughout the year, and then especially when preparing to vote on this category, I think an underrated part of defensive value right now in sort of the the zeitgeist and sort of the average mental model that we carry about defense is deterring stuff from happening in these positions, in your weak side help. So if you're really long and you're able to slide over into the gap and show your hands and your body, that might deter a penetrator from dribble taking that extra dribble. And being like, huh, I don't know if I want to go there. But then if you're also really long and you're in great position and you react really well, it might deter a certain pass out of that pick and roll back out to the man you kind of helped off of. And those almost don't register, I feel like. It's like deterring at the rim registers because the guy dribbles in and he sees the giant, he sees Rudy Gobert, and he's like, ah, I don't want to shoot here, right? And we might even have stats that we can talk about when we get to that category later about how teams don't shoot as much in the paint. But what's the stat? What's the sexy play where like a guy helps from, you know, a couple, a pass away, a couple feet away, slides over and then slides back. And the ball handler goes, I don't really want to drive near him, but also I don't really want to pass near him. And it just never creates an advantage because of that guy's presence. That was the big thing in my mind for me this season more than any other season. And I think not only the help deters something from happening, but they're able to recover back to the perimeter in a way that it also stifles another action, right? So there's almost like two points of deterring, right? There's the initial uh, gapping that they do to try and stop something, but then the recovering back to the, per- uh, exactly. to the perimeter. Yep. So Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Without further ado, um, I think this is the first year we've done this where there was not a single unanimous winner of any category, meaning uh, no one got all the first place votes. We've had that before. I think at least one category every year. So a ton of diversity coming this season. And maybe that's an accurate representation of the landscape right now, a flattening of kind of defensive value, at least in the regular season, as we think about it. So the first, do you have a drum roll? The first, the first thinky, uh, 2023 winner for best nail defender and I'm I'm calling conspiracy right away. This is this is what is happening, Cody. What have you done? Have you done some Have you done some ballot manipulation? The winner, is it my guy, of best nail defender is Drew Holiday. Oh, a best nail defender, Drew Holiday. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting, Drew Holiday. And this is an incredibly close vote. The other first place votes went to Marcus Smart, Jared Vanderbilt. And Matisse Thibel, we all know we all know who is responsible for the for the Matisse Thibel vote. Oh boy, um, he was on one one other ballot, by the way. But but the way we do the point system, very very close. Drew 
And um, Herb, Herb Jones did not get a first place vote. He was also very close to winning. Vanderbilt, Draymond Green, Alex Caruso, and Marcus Smart. There was a tie for fifth place between Matisse Caruso and Marcus Smart. Oh, that's really interesting. I, I find this really interesting because I personally didn't even have Drew Holiday on my five-man ballot here, right? You could extend it out to six, but I didn't have him on my five-man. Did you have him on your ballot, and do you feel strongly about Drew Holiday as a nail defender? I, I feel that he is um, less of a presence in this category. I did not have him on my ballot at all. Oh, um, and he, he was not on my cut line. And I, as I said, I was really thinking and really inspired by big forwards who I find tremendously disruptive in this area. So one, one thing is a little surprising to me. I had Jimmy Butler fourth, and I think he only got one other fourth place vote, which wasn't enough to get him into the top five finalists there. But I really, this season, again, have just been impressed by the, if you go back to like peak Paul George and just his length in this area, peak Kawhi Leonard, um, even even a sm- well, he's not small, but a smaller kind of wing, Alex Caruso, I think is really good in this area. And just having that length and the ability to read the play, slide, recover quickly. Um, Jared Vanderbilt does this incredibly well. Yeah, so uh, it's a surprising result for me, but this is this is the fun of having a, a diverse panel of voters. I know this is actually kind of tough because now we have two people on here that didn't actually vote for for the winner. So I'm not going to sit here and defend Drew Holiday too much. I'm going to go down to number two because I think Herb Jones is is fantastic at this. And there's something that stands out uh, to me about the way that he plays at the nail is when he's able to double. Right. When he's kind of at the nail, forces a pass over, goes over and helps. Maybe he digs, maybe he doubles. It's so hard to pass over around him. His hands are just everywhere. He's able to cover so much surface area that it just feels like it's going to be an inevitable turnover for the opposing player. And I don't I don't necessarily think he's always the quickest when it comes to moving his feet or getting back. But the hands, his his ability to stretch out almost like it closes the gap so he doesn't necessarily have to be as fast as somebody like Alex Caruso, who I thought highly of because he's able to to dig and recover so quickly yeah so um drew holiday takes the first thinking here best nail defender but just going back to how sort of widespread this vote was this season he only got 42 percent of the maximum possible vote share so 100 percent is you get every first place vote and for comparison like we've talked about coach of the year those guys will get take, take usually like 40 to 60% of the vote share in first place, and those can be distributed. You get something like MVP. The MVP winner almost always is like 70 to 80%, and you know really sturdy MVP winners will get 90 to 99% of the vote share. Of course, Steph Curry is the only one ever to unanimously win in 2016 with 100% of the vote share. So keep that in mind as we go through. I'll try to uh, compare just for perspective the possible vote share person on the most ballot here, I think is good in this area personally as well. Uh, Herb Jones, Herb Jones landed on 80% of our ballots. Okay. If you want to work in basketball or just deeper, your understanding of the NBA sports business classroom is my number one recommendation. Sports business classroom is an immersive program that takes place inside of summer league in Las Vegas and you'll get training in scouting, media, the salary cap, and analytics from industry leaders. 
past instructors and guests include Commissioner Adam Silver, Mike D'Antoni, Masai Ujiri, Daryl Morey, Mike Breen, and Zach Lowe. Dozens of SBC alum have gone on to work in basketball, including two Thinking Basketball team members. And this year's session runs from July 9th to 15th in Las Vegas. So if you're interested, check out sportsbusinessclassroom.com. And I have a discount for you. Enter the code THINKINGBASKETBALL at sign up and get $300 off. That's sportsbusinessclassroom.com. And for $300 off, enter the code thinking basketball what do you want to do next best hands yeah let's go to hands all right let's do best hands best hands um this category of course is fairly self-explanatory but i think we're really talking about guys with accurate strong disruptive hands that you know i don't know how you think about this cody but i don't think about the passing lane stuff that we just talked about necessarily mm. being your hands. That's your length and your positioning and your anticipation. But hands to me is how I'm targeting the ball, my reaction time targeting the ball and hitting the ball in short spaces, stuff like that. Okay. I Can you can you actually clarify that for me? Because I feel like those are two of the same things. Like if you're targeting it with your hands, part of that is your passing lane defense, is it not? Yes. What I'm saying is um, hands is not a synonym for the number of steals or deflections mm. you have. Because those can come from your positioning, those can come from your anticipation, your awareness, and your length, whereas the focus here is like reaction time, accuracy, slapping the ball, hitting the ball, reaching for the ball, and not fouling, right? All that kind of stuff. Does that, does that difference make sense? Yeah, that does make sense. So I think for the the passing lane stuff, some of them might be evidence for somebody having good hands, but it's not necessarily a proof of it correct there's there is some overlap but uh at least for me in my head uh i'm thinking of picking pockets and you know accurately hitting balls without without fouling basically in traffic stuff like that okay yeah yeah, yeah. that sounds good all right you ready for the winner do you want to start with the the winner or do you want to want to build up like the from five to one you know Which way do you want to now do that you say that it makes me think that we've probably done five to one in the past and um I am just all hopped up on defensive film <laughs> right now. Um, so maybe we should do that. Uh, well, it's fitting because once again, we have a tie. We have a tie. Fourth place, we have a four-way tie. A four-way tie for fourth place. Um, these guys all got 20% of the share. And it gets crazier because they, they got this by just getting first place votes. That's it. First place votes. Uh, that's it. Wait, so, Jimmy so they only got one first place vote Jimmy, and then no Jimmy, one else. Jimmy Butler, DeJounte Murray, DeLon Wright, and Draymond Green. So there is just no agreement on who has good hands in the NBA. Oh, that's incredible. I would love to see a Twitter poll on this. I want to see if there's this much variation in, in the voter pool here. I want to see like a wider, a public view of who has the best hands. Yeah, I think this was the category... Uh, along with motor that had the most um, players on ballots, right? So yeah. if, if everyone had the same five players, there would be five players on ballots. If everyone had different players, you'd end up with dozens and dozens. We have uh, the most here in hands. So maybe there is dist like massive disagreement about who has great hands. So fourth place, Ty, Jimmy Butler, DeJounte Murray, DeLon Wright, Draymond Green, for my money, 
Draymond Green has the best hands of that group. I would also I, – I, we know what you think. We know what you think. You, you like DeLon Wright's hands, right? I do. I think DeLon Wright is so disruptive with his hands. And I think he has a good – he's a good idea of jumping passing lanes but doing so quickly with his hands. Like, again, digging and, and just disrupting that way. So yeah. that's why I had him number one. Okay. Um, number three – I see, I think this guy has good hands. He was on my ballot. He appeared on three ballots – I guess before number three, I should point out, because of the quirk of this voting, there were a few other players that appeared on two ballots and that are definitely worth worth mentioning. Um, Herb Jones, Marcus Smart, and another guy I think has really just great hands, Chris Paul. Oh, yeah. 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 Man, you can't go wrong with any of them. That's the issue with this. Is no. You just think about hands and like, yeah, of course they all have great hands. I should also mention that um, he did not get a lot of high place votes. But in the first category, we held, handed out best nail defender. Jimmy Butler was on three ballots. I think that's with all the with all the equality of voting that we're seeing and the diversity of these results. I think I want to call out when someone's on multiple ballots like that. Um, okay, where was I? The top the top three. Fred Van Fleet is number three. Okay, number two. This is my vote. Jose Alvarado. Mm. And number one, the winner for the 2023 Thinky for best hands, Alex Caruso. Okay. Yeah, he was number two on my ballot. And I again, I think there he's a tricky one. Him and like Thibel are sort of the same jumping lane, passing lane sort of thing where he can get in the way that way. But I think he's also really good, like targeting the ball with guys that are going up with the shot. When I see him get blocks and whatnot, which I also count with hands here, I feel like he gets it on the way up. Like he's able to get someone like right before they get to the apex. And uh, that scores pretty highly for me. He had a 44% vote share and was on the most ba- most ballots of anyone for best hands, so I think a fitting winner, Alex Caruso, 2023, best hands. I feel like there's a lot of players that if they got a vote, I feel like I wouldn't argue with it. Like somebody like LeBron James. I view LeBron as somebody that has really good hands of stripping people in the post. Even like, do you even consider, Ben, do you consider the ability to catch a ball in traffic as having good hands? Because I feel like that could have like the soft hands venturing it into someone and they leap over and they, they sort of... I was going to make a football reference. I don't know any football players. No, that no, it's different them. because that's one, that's offense, but two, it's I think it's actually a different skill because the size of your hands makes a bigger difference with catching the ball, mm-hmm. um, and maybe even some of the sort of mental planning as to what you're going to do with the ball. So sometimes you'll see, guy, oh, I'm def- thinking about a defender. I have to control how I move my body. That's different. Like take someone like Jokic, who has really good hands, who I think has appeared on the final ballot here before I think he appeared on he appeared on one ballot this year getting a low vote it's like he's he's not necessarily doing a ton of crazy jumping and athletic stuff and all all this on defense when he uses his hands he's just slipping that ball out slipping that hand out there and trying to slap the ball when it's in front of him that kind of stuff and and Jokic of course does very well with with steals and blocks um, because of those hands okay where do you want to go next Let's see. So we did hands. You want to jump to uh, another bigger category? You want to go to point of attack? What? Wow. Yeah. Okay. Oh, oh, yeah. Let's get back to spicy here. <laughs> um, boy, let's get very spicy. This is another one of my favorite categories. Point of attack defender. Best point of attack defender. So the idea here is 
who disrupts offensive initiation the most. And of course, today, a lot of that is pick and roll driven. Um, One thing qualitatively I will say for me is this is not just about navigating screens. It's not just about getting up into a guy, but it is a combination of how you contain the ball against playmakers, against guys that want to touch the paint, against guys that want to break you down or require help or a double team. But even when you're dealing with screening action now, it's about coordinating your switch or your coverage as well as possible. So if you're going to go under a screen, you got to do that perfectly based on the player you're playing, based on the coverage your team is in, things like that. So it's a combination of all this stuff. It's a combination of getting around screens, keeping the ball in front of you, making the right reads, communicating and understanding the personnel, the opponent, the game plan, the coverage. That's everything that goes into, to me, containing the offense at the point of attack. So this is this is much less like isolation. You're not counting anything where you entered into the elbow. This is all like the play is being initiated out on the perimeter. I mean, I think that could be a small part of it for some defenders, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but in general, yes, a lot of this in today's game is perimeter focused. How do how do I create an advantage? I have a guy with the basketball. He comes off a screen. He requires a double. He requires help. Some guys still play through the post. As you said, some guys still play through the elbow. But you have to be able to chase that primary weapon or keep that primary weapon in front of you so the defense doesn't collapse, essentially. And that that means going around screens, playing off handoff, sometimes playing in isolation, playing in transition if it's early and and you know you have an empty side or the screen is rejected i think all of that falls under containing the point of attack okay now for the people at home i could look at the results but i'm finding out with all of you before i look at the the spreadsheet here i'm waiting for ben to announce it so i can so i can comment on it so ben i'm waiting with the people i feel like point of attack should have like the smallest group of of players like how how is the uh, how's the, I don't know, the, the, the distribution, the yes. yeah, the distribution, yes. how is it? It, uh, it, along with paint protector has the smallest distribution, okay. the fewest number of players getting total votes. So that kind of lines up with your instinct there. Is that what you're thinking? Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. And why were you thinking that? I don't know. I feel like you hear the same names coming up over the last couple of years. Like maybe once in a while a new player comes in, a new challenger approaches, and you're like, yep, this new guy's taking it. But I feel like year in and year out, you're like, yep, this guy's still great at point of attack. Yep, this guy's still great at point of attack. So I don't know. Maybe it's the one that stands out the most. Maybe it's the players that make it far in the playoffs. But something about it seems like we agree on it pretty clearly. Okay. Um, Someone who did not make the top five here, but... He was on multiple ballots, and that is Jaden McDaniels. Mm-hmm. I like it. I think he's very good at the point of attack. I think his defensive metrics this season have been very good. Um, you know, he's long, he's rangy, all that stuff. Where did he finish in the nail? We were. I was thinking of him when talking about the presence of a big body around the nail. I think it's the same thing. He's he's slender and can get around screens. He guards, we have the B-ball index stats on like defensive versatility and primary matchups and things like that. I think he guards what they consider a tier one kind of defender, like 39% of the time or, or some big number. It's, it's, it's quite high up. He's a primary assignment. So one night he can guard a point guard. 
Another night he can guard a uh, uh, small forward if that's the way your team goes and things like that. So he was not a top five guy, but uh, just a great call out to me. Really awesome up and coming player overall and just had a, a great defensive season. I feel like this will not be the last time today we talk about Jaden McDaniels. I hope not. I hope not either. Um, let's go to number five here for best point of attack defender. That is a, a, a similar kind of guy, a similar body, Jared Vanderbilt. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, 17% of the vote share from Jared Vanderbilt. Uh, at number four, Cody, a guy I know you love from the Boston Celtics, Derek White. Mm-hmm. Number four. Oh yeah. Did you have him on your ballot? I think he was three on my ballot. So right, at, right about in the same ballpark as and, this. And what is it about him that caused you to to put him there? So I think the thing with Derek White that makes him particularly special is he's smaller, right? So he's quick enough that he can stay with some of these jitterbug guards. But his length, his timing on blocks, Ben, even if someone gets by him or at least gets on his hip, he's so good at staying with them and meeting him at the rim and blocking him. And I think that's an added element that a lot of these shorter guards don't necessarily have. For my money, Derek White is the best shot-blocking guard since... I don't know, prime John Wall, prime Dwayne Wade, whoever it might be, he's fantastic at meeting people at the rim, and I think that helps him a ton here, just that that ranginess with that quickness. Is that because he doesn't need help in those situations? Say more. What do you mean? Well, in other words, if if uh, if his size allows him to defend well when someone's on his hip, mm-hmm. then he's essentially containing an advantage, right? But if you're if you're smaller, um, if you're I don't know T.J. McConnell or something, and someone gets yep. on your hip, then you basically have to rotate another defender or big man to the rim. Is that the idea? Yeah, that's a great way to put it. Because I don't yeah. necessarily think Derek White has the has the fastest feet right, in the NBA right. in terms of getting blown by, but he can he can cover up his own mistakes if he is blown by. Yep. Um, his teammate number three, Marcus Smart, and Cody. Mm-hmm. Back to your point. White and Smart got 34 and 35% of the vote share. So we're looking at number three and number four in this category as very close to getting the same vote share as the winners of the first two categories that we've looked at today. Uh, Smart was on my ballot. Let's stop and talk about him for a second. Because I think last year, not only did he win Defensive Player of the Year, but one thing we noticed in doing the thinkies is I believe he came up in the top five in the most categories or was on the ballot in the most categories. I don't know if he won any category, but he was always like three, four, two or something like that in like four or five different categories. Yeah, he was everywhere last year. And he and and to finish, you know, second, third, third, you got to have people giving you first place votes. You got to be high up in these categories. I think he was. This season for me wasn't on my ballot as much. I don't know if we're going to see him. We might see him a couple more times going forward, but it feels like sort of a down season from him defensively, especially compared to what was like a tour de force last year as the Celtics Mm -hmm. became these defensive monsters and uh, his communication is such a huge part of this. By the way, as an aside, I I would love to figure out a way to get communication into the Mm -hmm. thinkies somehow. Um, you can do it with hot mics and there's a lot you can infer from plays about who's communicating, but man, it's already a lot to ask voters to, to go to this (laughs) level of detail. I was just dying, um, preparing for this, this month and this week. So it's just something to think about with these guys that their communication is baked into these different categories. And like I said, it's not just about 
hey, this guy has the sexiest feet, the sexiest hips. Look at this lockdown highlight possession. It's about understanding the timing of the switch and then the ball comes back to you and the right positioning and the right place to put your foot and your hips and knowing the coverage. And I think even though this has been somewhat of a down year compared to last year for Smart, I still think he's been very, very good. And he's just so good in those areas of like, knowing where to be, talking all the time, understanding all the little tricks, how to get away with things from the officials, et cetera, et cetera. Well, first of all, Hot Mics, is that is that Mike De La Rosa's YouTube channel breaking down defensive plays? I, th- I think that's it. I think it's still private, yeah. Okay. But, okay, yeah. yeah, hopefully that'll be coming soon. But the other thing is with Smart, I, I feel like of the defensive things he does on the court, kind of like with Drew and nail defense, I don't necessarily know, especially this year, if point of attack is Smart's even best skill. Like, I like him more as a nail defender. I like him more in, as, as a switchable guy, not necessarily as someone that you're going to use to stifle, like, play initiation. Yep, yep, I agree with that. Um, and that just, I think, comes with age, honestly, and mm-hmm. making it to the f- finals and being such a playoff competitor and realizing, like, there are times to pick your spots more maybe in the regular season, especially as you get older and your body wears down and recovery is harder. So he's third. Uh, second place, actually someone who showed up on more ballots than our first place winner. He got a whopping 56% of the vote share, but it was not enough in this category. Second place is Alex Caruso. Okay. Uh, just for the record, he was, he was my first place vote. Okay. He was my second place, so clearly we're both very high on him, but what, what made him number one in your mind? Well, I think his um, his size, he has a number of skills that work really well here. So his screen navigation is incredible. He's big, he's physical, he plays angles well. We talked about hands in the last category. His hands are very disruptive. If you get by him on the screen or he's recovering at an angle, he knows how to take a good angle, use his hips, use his body. Um, he, he just does a really good job of both containing advantages at the point of attack and then being disruptive at times to throw teams off at the point of attack. Uh, I just thought he was great. And then, aren't I mean, if you look at the numbers this year, we're, we're limited in defensive stats, right? But I think a lot of the defensive stats also think like this, this guy's – this guy's really, really good. If you look at, uh, you know, something like deflections per 75 possessions, I believe he's first. Yeah, yeah, he's first in the league. I found it at over five deflections per 75 possessions. So, um, you know, this that goes to the other categories that we've talked about so far, but just a, just a really strong active defender up at the point of attack. And I think, you know, I'm not going to call out anyone else on the roster. You can go look at the Bulls roster yourself and make your own conclusions. But the fact that that Bulls team has whatever their defensive rating is right now, I forgot. Are they top five in defense this season? Are they something like that? I look at the last month. Yeah, with him on the floor, they're in the 98th percentile. So, I mean, they they have a 109 defensive rating with with him on the floor. Which is just spectacular. And that's what I was alluding to earlier, like driving some of these defensive metrics. He's literally first in defensive EPM, defensive Raptor, and something that I find in some ways more interesting, the defensive box score component of Raptor. He's first in every single one of them. And, you know, whether that is completely accurate in the sense that, like, this means that Alex Caruso is the best defender or having the most valuable defensive season. 
we know that's obviously not true. There's just noise and variability. We don't have the same granular inputs that we can put in these defensive metrics. But I mean, man, for like for like a six five point of attack defender, where where else is he getting a lot of this value other than this and the other category we just talked about? The nail. I mean, th- this is where he lives out on the outside disrupting plays like this. And as you said, Cody, you know, Io DeSumo's nice and uh, Derek Jones Jr. might give you some good minutes and Patrick Williams can give you solid minutes and things like that. But the team construction in Chicago, especially with a center like uh, Nikola Vucevic, it's, it's not set up to go open this guy's, you know, player card on thinkingbasketball.net and be like, wait, wait a second, 109 defensive rating when he's on the court. That is insane. Let me, they're fifth in the NBA this season in defensive rating. They have fifth best defensive rating. Here are the teams in front of them. Cleveland, the Cavaliers, Boston Celtics, Memphis Grizzlies, Milwaukee Bucks. Each one of those teams has guys that are, are being pushed as like defensive player of the year candidates. I actually find it really interesting, especially after last year when we saw Marcus Smart and Mikhail Bridges being pushed so much as defensive player of the year candidates. I'm surprised that I'm not seeing more Caruso buzz given the construction of that roster and their defensive rating. Not necessarily that I, I agree with that. I don't think you would be on my ballot, but uh, in terms of just like what we see in the discourse, I'm surprised we don't see m- more of him in terms of that conversation. I agree. And yet he is somehow second. (laughs) He is somehow second. So the winner Mm -hmm. of the uh, Finky. (laughs) It has to be. I don't even look and I know who it has to be. Would you like to announce it? The winner of the 2023 Finky? Am I able to announce it without looking? Can I just? I think you can do it. The winner of this year's 2023 point of attack Finky is none other than Drew Holiday. Drew Holiday. Is that his second Finky? To, yeah, he What's got the nail defense on? too. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Okay. So th- this one, this one to me, as I said, I did not have Drew um, in my nail ballot. I did have him in my point of attack ballot. I didn't quite have him at the top, but I don't really have a lot of qualms. I mean, this is his specialty. Like, he's just he's really fantastic in this area. And uh, for, for, for very obvious reasons. And I think having another good year, I would be interested as the, you know, local Bucks resident here, Cody. Um, we've talked about how great he's been overall this season. Do you think, because this was a thought in my head at times when, when filling out this ballot, do you think the additional offensive load he's had to carry this year at given times has taken away a little from his defense in the same way that, you know, as we just said with Marcus Smart, like it's not just all out every night psychosis. It's like, yes, you turn on games and you see the Drew Holiday magic, but there are some nights where maybe just like his teammate Giannis, he's carrying a ton on offense. So you don't get that hyper-focused, specialized defensive insanity that I actually expect at this point to see when we get to the playoffs. And as we've seen before, that can take away from some of his offense because it's just like so much effort goes into that. I think a key with how Drew Holiday plays plays defense, like you said, it's not necessarily like the possessed, like stripping Devin Booker and throwing just an absurd lob pass to Giannis in the finals kind of play. You like reliving that play, don't you? 
I love reliving that entire <laughs> just finals, except for the first two games. The last four games are just just brilliant. But with Drew Holiday, I've kind of talked about this before, and you know, I'm sure, I'm sure Brooke Lopez is coming up at some point today. Who? But I'm, this guy that I don't remember. There's a brother, and they both hang out in Disney or something like that. But anyway, he's the key to their drop defense. But Drew Holiday's ability to chase, I think, and I know chasing is going to be a segment that we talk about soon. But his ability to not rely on switches, to always just fight over the screen, and I feel like he's so good it's just like a screen comes and he like sucks himself in he just like attaches himself to his defender and gets through and the skill that i think he's really really good at super micro skill but if he's going under a screen i don't know if i've seen somebody spin underneath the screen faster right because that's the best way to get to go under the screen is you feel it out and then you spin around them right and he is so quick at doing that and then still getting out to contest and i think comparing him with caruso i think caruso is more disruptive i think caruso is, is i don't want to say stronger drew holiday is actually a really strong dude that, that's another squat all squat team this season all seasons but drew holiday i think has has quicker feet than caruso i think he's good at taking on like like there was a nets game really early in the season if you all remember when kyrie irving played for the nets just locking him down possession after possession and i think him being able to go down to those those much shorter Shorter, ball handly, jittery guards is is just so incredible for what the Bucks do. Yeah, Smart also does that spin off screens, mm-hmm. which is incredible. Um, it allows you to recover, and you can stay inside the big man if you need to roll and switch late. It's really, really advanced, masterful stuff. So he got eighty percent of wow. the vote share in this category. The second thinky goes to Drew Holiday. Uh, Let's stick with this same concept really quickly because I think last year we didn't hand out a thinky for this. Um, we'll do one this season because there's some differences that I want to talk about, and that is screen navigation. Mm-hmm. So screen navigation, uh, as I said, we didn't hand this out last year because there's a lot of overlap. There's a component of especially point of attack defense, but there were a few guys that popped up in the screen navigation category as a more specific skill, Right as saying not only at the point of attack, chasing someone around a ball screen or, or staggered screens or whatever, but chasing them away from the ball. So we actually asked our voters to vote on best screen navigators and chasers, guys that, you know, when you're running around the court and you're running away from the, away from the play through one screen, two through, two, through two screens, curling and looping around, those are the guys that are going to stay connected to you. Um, Drew Holiday wins this as well, because I said we have a lot of overlap. So if we were to hand out the official thinky, he would get this one as well. But the players who showed up here who weren't in the other category, it's interesting to me. Contavious Caldwell-Pope finished second. Jared Vanderbilt finished fourth. And then Dylan Brooks and Jose Alvarado Hmm. were, were tied for fifth. And Brooks, to me, I think is worth stopping and talking about KCP. I think we've mentioned before just how good he is at specifically getting around screens. So I really wanted to call out that a number of voters were also like, "Uh, I don't know about best point of attack defender overall, but guy getting through screens, Contavious Caldwell Pope, fantastic. And then with Dylan Brooks, he's really interesting to me, Cody, because much like Javon Carter, who was just behind him in voting here, um, he plays in a system with a incredible paint protector behind him, or in some cases, two. And we'll get to paint protectors later, but it allows these guys to pester the ball and not really be worried about being beaten off the ball. And it's not to say that they 
want to be beaten off the ball, but allows them to play more aggressively, take more risks because they know they have shot blocking magicians behind them in the paint to cover up their mistakes. And so someone like Dylan Brooks, he's just a pest. He picks up full court a lot, right? Um, He takes your best point of attack player a lot. That's his goal. Point guard, wing, whatever. He wants to hound you around the court. And he's pretty strong. He's probably on the squat team. Oh, oh yeah. Uh, he gets around screens well. He chases well. He's physical. He'll do the old Fred Van Vliet, grab a handful of jersey to stick with you. Like he, He's doing all these things. And, of course, his reputation now because of fouls and suspensions and things like that has that Charles Oakley agitator element to it. But um, I don't know. He was he was top of mind for me in both of these categories as well. He This is an interesting thing because with Screen Navigator, he showed up. But when we asked more holistically about point of attack defenders, I just think there might have been too many other big names like Drew Holiday, like Alex Caruso, like Marcus Smart, even your Herb Jones, Jared Vanderbilt, whatever. And, and Dylan Brooks, uh, you know, he got like one straggling vote in that category, but does much better here. That's really interesting because I I didn't have him on either of them here. I considered him for point of attack in another category that's coming up. But in terms of of point of attack and screen navigation, I actually would have had him on point of attack before I had him on screen navigation because when I think of that, specifically when I try and differentiate them, I'm thinking of, of defending pin downs right? Somebody that's flying off ball. This is something that like, you know, Emmanuel Quickly, for instance, I think he's also a great point of attack defender, but I guess maybe somebody like uh, Pat Connaughton is a good example, right? He's a fine enough point of attack defender, but I definitely wouldn't put him anywhere near the top of the league. But what he is good at being is just shot out of a cannon, fighting around screens, dancing around. It's like the first part of American Ninja Warrior where you're like, you're dancing across the little like quad boxes and things like that. That's what I look like. It's not necessarily that you're going to stay in front of somebody, but if you throw these cones in front of you, you're going to be able to dance around them quickly enough to get at least on the hip of your defensive player. So I think that's how I was thinking about differentiating between these two awards. So let's just get this straight. When I make a reference to soccer or American football, you have no idea what the difference between a field goal and a, and a, soccer goal is or offsides but american ninja warrior that's that's what we're going with oh absolutely don't tell me that you haven't watched a marathon of american ninja warrior at some point you're like you know what i can go bust out 40 pull-ups right now that's the one where they climb up the the thing and uh you know jump over water and stuff like that that's exactly you're like hanging on it and it's like rolling down and and i don't know i don't know like jason tatum for instance he's on the all like american ninja warrior team because like his lats flare out so much that what is happening that's what i would Uh, love to see that's what we need to talk about who's the all american ninja warrior nba team maybe not tatum's probably too 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 big not not making fun of his weight it's just six eight guys usually don't do too well on this it's only a kick a jump a block It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Let's go to best motor. Let's hand out the thinky for best motor. Uh, We talked about motor a lot in a recent episode. Um, So just as a reminder, best motor is... You know, basically the guy moving around the most, not just running in a straight line, but very active with his movement. Um, and, and that 
adds value to his his defense through his activity and 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 sort of uh, non idleness. That's the word I'm looking for. So best motor, we do have we do have another big winner in this category, but it wasn't unanimous. It wasn't unanimous. Mm. He didn't mm. make it on all ballots. So fascinating. Did he was not left make off it. a ballot. He was left off a ballot. Yep, wow. he was left okay. off a ballot. Um, best motor number five. Drew Holiday. I guess, see, there's just a mm. Drew Holiday's in the water here. I did not have Drew Holiday on my on my best motor ballot. Um, I didn't either, actually. Yeah, this is a. It, I should say this is a three way tie at number three. So three, four, and five are all tied here at number three. Drew Holiday, Draymond Green, hmm. and who, he has a pretty good motor. He's a pretty good defensive motor. I think when he was in better better shape last year, it was even more incredible. Um, so I like that. And then Mikhail Bridges is the other guy. He's, he's got a pretty good motor as well. Yeah. I think what you're saying, right? Like the exact tone of your voice that he's got a pretty good motor. This is what made it actually the most difficult category for me. Cause I was watching and I would see guys and I'm like, wow, that's impressive. That's a good motor. I'm like, okay, but like what differentiates it? I ended up only having like four guys on my belt. I probably could have cut one of them and just kept it to three, but there were like eight players that I wanted to put on here just because I feel like at a certain point, it's so tough for me to differentiate. So I don't know who, who else is on there. Yeah, it's a, uh... It's it's incredibly difficult. I should mention guys outside the top five that were stragglers on multiple ballots. Uh, Jaden McDaniels again. I do mm-hmm. like his motor, and Bam Adebayo, another one of those guys where you're like, okay, mm-hmm. it's got a it's got a pretty good defensive motor. Can definitely see it. Um, we should mention that those guys tied at third had just fourteen percent of wow. the vote share. Second place, the runner up with the 2023 Thinky for best motor. I like this one, Cody. 58% of the vote share, Jose Alvarado. Hey, yeah. there we are. Yeah. And the winner with 80, again, 80% yeah. of the vote share. If you listen to this show, if you watch Thinking Basketball on YouTube, I think you know what's coming. It is Jared Vanderbilt, the 2023 Thinky for Best Motor. I think that's really interesting. So, like, Vanderbilt and Jose Alvarado are so much higher than everyone else. Is that kind of where your mind is with those two? Do you think when it comes to motor, they have just so much bigger and more more robust of a motor than everyone else in the league? No, I had them one, two. Okay. But I didn't have the giant drop-off. Like, for me personally, on my ballot, Nick Claxton was third. Mm. And I had a drop-off, but I, would, I didn't get yet to that area of like, I, God, there's so many guys I could put here to fill out my ballot. I didn't quite get there. Because uh, I think Claxton is a pretty crazy high motor guy for for what he does as well, and then maybe you could stop. I had Jade McDaniel's fourth, and then I, my last, I was like, I, I I don't know where to go from here. Yeah, I think even man, I, we're not even talking about those top two because I guess we've talked about it enough. But a player that I look at that I didn't even vote for, and I think he's a key idea of like why I struggled with this. I thought about Josh Akogi for this, but I think mostly it's because of his ability to crash the offensive glass. And when I was looking at him, like, I don't know if this is against the spirit of the award. I don't know if being like a, a wing and being able to get in there and grab those boards is something that separates it. But I feel like that's a guy that I see going around. And I think that's ultimately what I sort of struggled with is, I don't know, these two guys, Vando, for you may a whole video of it and that probably swayed people to be like oh yeah he's got a great motor but Alvarado's also got like the sneaky I'm hiding out in the backcourt I'm gonna sneak up behind you and steal it I'm just kind of dancing all over the place so I don't know I think they're probably the flashiest two motor guys and 
I don't necessarily know if that's just like if there's like a subtle motor guy, if there's a subtle skill that somebody has that's brought on by their motor. All right, let's go to isolation defender. And this if if motor was tricky for you, isolation defender was the trickiest for me. And I think it's time to inject two minutes of philosophy here. Mm. I, I just I don't know what to do with this category going forward because there's so much less isolation basketball than what we used to see. You just don't see a lot of guys getting picked on in isolation. If they get picked on in the post as like a mismatch, that's one thing. But now we're seeing obviously guys brought into ball screen situations and pick and roll and, and sort of attacked that way. And yes, in the playoffs, we see the, uh, pick and roll to switch to get the isolation. So maybe that's still there. But for the regular season, Cody, it was it was tough for me to really think of like what this means anymore. In the old days, it was like a big man could be a great isolation defender in the post and maybe in the, in the middle of the floor. A perimeter player was on the outside. He was trying to prevent you from penetrating, something like that. Now I, I, I was just, uh, I, I was a mess. I was a mess for this category. I don't know how you felt about it, but... I, I really struggled with it. I think a couple of players that I think about when it comes to this are like Luka Doncic and uh, who's the other one? Just like Kawhi Leonard, right? Like who's the kind of guy that you want to throw on one of these guys? Maybe they'll set up at the elbow. They kind of, you know, LeBron sitting there. He's bending backwards like this. He's looking for a spot. Those are the kinds of possessions that I'm thinking about. Like somebody that like, all right, I have one possession. I need to stop this player. He's either going to be at the elbow. He's going to be posting up. He's going to try and take me off isolation off the perimeter. Who's a guy that I feel comfortable going across these multiple levels. But again, it's also a little bit different from somebody that's switchable, but that's kind of how I was thinking. About See, it. that's switchable. That's, that's almost the definition of switchable. If you're, if you're, trying to weigh and this is what i'm saying like if you're now trying to weigh sort of what happens if you're in the post what happens if you're at the elbow and what happens if you're on the perimeter against all these different threats in the league some guys are post oriented some guys want to set up at the elbow some guys want to attack you from the outside off the dribble or with a pull up or step back it's just it bled into that category which which we'll do next but i i just i don't know well, if we're bleed, let's 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 combine all of this petri dish of blood here to to make all the bleeding together. This is going somewhere weird. Blood. Anyway, what? I, yeah, blood. <laughs> so switchable and isolation. What I think about with this, and I don't know philosophically if this is where other people went with it, but when it came to switchable for me, I wanted somebody that could not necessarily be attacked from any of the positions, right? Like the wider swath of ability to to defend multiple players. Whereas isolation, I want you to be really, really good at these couple. Of, of different spots as opposed to being able to defend everyone. That was the key differentiator for me. Who did you have as your best isolation defender? My best isolation defender was Jaden McDaniels. Your best isolation defender was Jaden McDaniels? Yeah. My best isolation defender oh my goodness. was Jaden McDaniels. Ben, we should make a podcast. <laughs> this is incredible. Wow. What? Uh, man. Yeah. I, I, have we not talked enough about Jaden McDaniels in this podcast? Just Cody, yeah. Cody, that 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 length. He's like a spider out there. Yeah, he is just so fluid in the hips and the wingspan, and just able to guard all these guys in multiple spots. Obviously, he's weaker physically, so I suppose you could power him in the post. But because of his length, I don't know. See, now I'm bleeding into switchable. I I didn't know what to do. Um, but either way, Jaden McDaniels, we should stop and appreciate. He's having an excellent defensive season and I think if we go back to that 
uh, B-ball index, they have like a number that tries to estimate on-ball defense. I believe he's first in that stat for them, which is what, which is one of those things where like I have my finalists on my ballot and then you sent that over and I was like, okay, I guess that lines up with with what I'm seeing. That's a nice thing to share on the on the podcast. He's number one in this category, which somehow attempts to like account for, I think, when he's on the floor versus off the floor, the production of the players that he's matched up with, et cetera, et cetera. I think too, yeah, yeah. Basketball index, by the way, great shout out. I think they have a bunch of great stats over there that you can really dig into. Jaden McDaniels, a couple of things that he does that I really like. And I think the thing about defense is you can't look at any of them in isolation. It all kind of bleeds together. What he does so well with his length is when he's defending somebody one-on-one, he shrinks their passing angles so much. The amount of on-ball steals he gets because a player's like, I'm going to be able to pass over it. And he's like, nope, I'm right here. I'm just going to reach over and steal that. I think that's a really key skill to have. You watch him. I think there was a recent Lakers game he was playing, easily switching between guarding LeBron James, easily switching between him and Anthony Davis. That's an incredible ability to disrupt two players like that. And I think that's sort of like two through four guy. I know Anthony Davis is playing a lot of five, but being able to defend two through four so well that's what makes him stand out to me more than anyone else. He did not win this category. What? <laughs> this is unacceptable. Okay. This uh, is fifth place is your go. Wow. I don't think I had this person on my ballot. I know I considered him one category, so I may have snuck him in uh, with a late vote. But Derek White is fifth. I feel like he's popping up hmm. a lot. Derek I White is didn't fifth. Have him. Didn't have him on mine. Yeah. Um Fourth here is Bam Adebayo with 26% of the share. And then this is one of our closest categories we've seen, Cody. Oh, man. Um, third place, Drew Holiday. Okay. 40% of the vote share. He actually appeared on most uh, the most ballots in this category and for reasons we've obviously discussed. One thing I'll say in thinking about Drew here is that he can guard point guards he can guard wings and it feels like i mean this isn't really the spirit of this category but it even feels like again i'm bleeding into switchable defender but it feels like he can hold his own with his strength sometimes against big ben so drew is third with 40 percent of the vote Jaden mcdaniels is second with 41 percent of the vote someone's going to be left off that makes me really angry Ben. and the uh 2023 thinky for best isolation defender goes to Draymond Green with 44% of the vote. Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> that's that's what that's what you say after every category, Cody. This one is particularly <laughs> Oh, wow. There's two guys <laughs> you, that we're going to have to get to that I'm You've hurting. already said. I think last time you said it was particularly interesting as well. <laughs> yeah, this is like Ben. Okay. Okay. Did you did you have Draymond on your ballot? I'm guessing you did. Uh, what category is this? Isolation? <laughs> yes, yes, isolation. <laughs> I know. I just because I confuse isolation. Here, here's the thing. I had Draymond third on my ballot. Okay. Okay. I had McDaniel's first, Drew second, Draymond third. But there's there's so much bleed into isolation. I feel. I mean, uh, switchable defender. I feel like I feel like switchable defender is the more money category for me. Like if we're comparing to the Oscars at home. I think, um, what did we start with? Nail defender. All those things are more interesting and more valuable in today's NBA 
the way you have to help and recover on the weak side and your length and passing lanes and all that. I think point of attack defender is another huge category. And then I think switchable defender is the third huge category before we get to paint protection, uh, which, which we'll do last here in a second. But um, I'm, I'm ready to go to switchable. You have more thoughts on isolation? Man, this is one of those where I was about to just like complain and say like two guys were, were what what's the word? What's the word that snubbed. people... Snubbed. Yeah, yeah, they were yeah. snubbed. They were snubbed out of here. But then I'm trying to figure out and see who I would take out. I left Draymond off my ballot. That was wrong, Ben. I'm looking at that. That was an incorrect decision on mm. my part. Mm. I... Ben, there's two guys. There's one guy. Let's talk about one guy. Who? Is he playing I, Oklahoma City? No. No. Okay. He plays for for the Pelicans, Ben. Plays for the I Pelicans. Think, Herb only Jones? Only one person got a vote. Yeah, Herb Jones. Why am I the only one that voted for Herb Jones? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, he's okay. good. What are you going to do? What are you going to do with this category? I don't know. Let's go to switchable defender. Okay, let's go to switchable. Switchable yep. defender. Okay. Um, we've, we've talked around it. I guess the idea here is that you guard multiple positions well. And mm-hmm. it could be sort of two of the big positions on the court really, really well, or it could be just basically all positions, small wing, big, and and players that come in any shapes and sizes. Um, you guard all of those pretty well. There's no philosophical, you know, you can go either direction. I think to your point, when I think of switching, some of the differences or maybe the big difference would probably have to be that you can then go and play that defensive role in screening action. So if you're like switched onto someone, then you aren't just some kind of super liability if you need to then not guard them in isolation. I don't know. I'm trying to trying to elaborate on some of the differences here in my mind as I as I tackle these categories. I think there's one thing, and I might bring it up with a player that's brought up here, but I think an interesting one might be actually most flexible pick-and-roll defender, like whoever can play the most kinds of coverages in certain situations, and that's what I'm thinking about, especially for one of the players that uh, was on my ballot for this. Who's who's that player? Uh, Bam Adebayo. All right, we will come back to that in a second, because he, uh, he is someone we definitely need to discuss. So yes. in fifth place here for most switchable defender... I think it's the first time we've seen this player, and I want to say in the winter, I saw multiple think pieces about how he was the defensive player of the year. OG Ananobi, Mm. fifth place for most switchable defender. He was on multiple ballots. Nick Claxton, the only top five guy on multiple ballots that didn't quite make it in. OG gets 17% of the vote share, trickling in with enough to uh, land fifth place here for most switchable defender. Did you have him? You made a you made a curious face. Yeah, Ananobi was was fourth on my ballot. And I think something that really helps him is he's strong, right? And I think that's what helps him kind of switch across all the positions. You can throw him you can sort of use him as like a I don't know, like a five guarding person. You can throw him on a center and, and be more or less okay on like post up sorts of things. I think he can sometimes have a little bit of rim protection chops. I was a little bit more impressed with that. I don't know if this factors into it, but you can have him near the rim and not lose a ton compared to a lot of other quote unquote small ball types of centers. But the fact that he's so strong, has great hands, can protect the rim a little bit. But I don't necessarily think he's he's the quickest guarding point of attack guys, but I still think that strength is what drew me to him. Yeah, I think he's solid out there. I think his feet are slow relative to the rest of the strengths that he has. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, positionally sound, can sort of read the attacker, um, you know, won't get blown by and then just disappear from play. 
probably because of his size and his strength. He'll be there. He'll peel off. He'll rebound. He'll he'll rear view pursuit, whatever it is. But then the rest of the stuff, wings and bigs. Uh, he plays, essentially played a lot of center for the Raptors this season. So he, he was on my ballot as well. Um, I think at the end of the year, you know, he's lost a lot of momentum just in terms of how excited people were about his defense. The Raptors have a 113 or so defensive rating when he's on the court that's in the 73rd percentile. Um, they are slightly above average as a defense overall. So, you know, at a very high superficial level, he's, he's looked good in that sense. And then a lot of his one-number metrics really, really like him. If you If you look at our board, he's like... 85th percentile or better in sort of the one number, you know, defensive EPMs and um, defensive LeBrons of the world and things like that. So I think he's had a very good defensive season. I think he's a very good defender, but it's just interesting that this is the first time we're we're talking about him today. And I, I would agree. I, I had him on my ballot as well. I think in some sense, this versatility is probably his most valuable asset right now as a defender. Yeah, absolutely. But again, I think I might have, he'd probably be on my honorable mentions for best hands as well. I think the combination of those two things is what makes him so dynamic. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, Just big, strong, sturdy hands. Um, And and he's pretty pretty good in terms of communicating and rotating early. I I actually, I shouldn't jump ahead because we have paint protector. I shouldn't presume that no one is going to have him on paint protector just because he did not make my final cut because that category that category is crazy Cody yeah we'll get to that we'll get to that in a second Um, let's live in the moment Ben let's let's stay here on this one OG OG Ananobi fifth Marcus Smart fourth uh, last year's defensive player of the year of course 26 percent of the vote uh, sorry he's third he's tied with Jaden McDaniels for third with 26 percent of the vote share 68 percent of the vote share going to our second place finisher most switchable defender wow that is draymond green and winning the most switchable defender category with 88 percent of the vote share which i think is the closest we had to a unanimous vote in this year's thinkies 2023 thinky goes to bam on a bio of the miami heat yeah, I got the same Bam and Draymond one and two. I feel pretty good about this. I had four of the five on my ballot here. And I do think, I think you, Ben, I know you. If I've been talking basketball with you a good amount. You're going to tell me that Draymond was number one on your ballot. Is oh, wow, Cody. I'm impressed. I'm yeah. impressed. You did it. You read my basketball soul. No. Draymond <laughs> is absolutely number one on my ballot. Bam was number two on my ballot. I think in many ways it's Bam's best strength. In terms of his now, now Bam's obviously a very, very good overall defender, but I just think in today's game and the way the Heat defend and using some of the zone, and it's just like you can put him all over the floor in many, many different instances. You can play tons of different coverages, and if you end up with Bam on a bio switched on you, you go switch heavy, and you end up with him switched on you. Um, most of the time, as the offense, you're not licking your chops. It's uh, it's not a welcome sight. So he w- he was second for me. Yeah, sure. for so so for Bam, what I find interesting is he's one of the few, maybe the only big man in the league that I can think of. Maybe Draymond, this happens to a good amount, but he gets switched out onto a perimeter guy, and like it's an immediate pass away. Like there's no even thought of them being like, you know what? This time I'm gonna get by Bam. This time they're like, nope, 
this guy can handle me just fine out here. And I think the the thing I've said differentiator. That's been my word too many times. Interesting and differentiator. I need to do a new synonym for that. But the the thing that differentiated Bam and and Draymond for me in this one is when I'm thinking about like the heavy hitters in the post, right? Like, let's say you take Embiid, you take Jokic, right? Any of these guys, you take uh, who? Who's the who's the dude with the Kings? That's that's good. I can't Sabonis. What about Vucevic? No one can stop his hook shot. Just but throwing I, that out there. I feel like if you wanted a guy that could take Embiid in the post, and you could take somebody like. I don't know, whoever's a perimeter-heavy guy on the perimeter and do it, like, equally well, Bam is right there. Whereas I feel like Draymond, just because of his size, might give up a little bit more to some of those post guys. And that was that was the key thing for me, picking Bam first. We've we've arrived at the, the final category. The, uh, the best picture version of this award show, it is the best paint protector. Um, next year, I'm going to evolve these a little bit. Hmm. And, and I got I to gotta put the descriptions in bold. I got to put the descriptions in bold. Best paint protector. The idea here is that we are collapsing a number of super important things into one category, including your uh, rim protection, your rim deterrence, your vertical shot blocking, but also your positioning. You can take charges. You can contest without fouling. You can be early on your rotations. You're not overhelping and exposing your team. Best paint protector how well do you patrol that most valuable real estate on the floor before you read anything i'm interested by your tone in saying that like what what do you think people are misinterpreting about the directions that you gave us i think it's too i well i i don't want to give anything away but um i think there is a uh heavy heavy indexing on the shot blocking component of this mm-hmm. heavy in, indexing on the ability to block shots. Okay. Well, yeah. let's let's table that. Let's put it at the parking lot. Let's what's some other business speak we could use? Let's put uh, a pin in it. Well, we're going to circle back on yeah. that one, Ben. Let's circle back in just a second. Yeah. Okay. Um man, this was a this this was a fun category. A tight category, big vote shares. Uh guys, I have to call out before we go anywhere and maybe worthy of some discussion because they did not make this top 5, but they were on multiple ballots. Walker Kessler, Nick Claxton, and Rudy Gobert. Um, let me start with Walker Kessler. Th- th- by the way, these guys and then all the guys that made the ballots, they were all on my cut for final candidates. I had like oh. 10 or 11 guys, and I was like, oh, God, choosing choosing between these players and whittling them down is really, really hard. But there was a clear kind of top tier or so of, of paint protectors. That's interesting. I had one of those three guys on my final ballot. Who uh, you had one on your final ballot? Yeah. I only had one of them on my final ballot as well. Okay. Uh, th- who was the one you had on your final ballot? I wonder if it's the same same guy. I had Rudy Gobert on my final ballot. I too had Rudy Gobert. I lied. I had Nick Claxton and Rudy Gobert. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So okay. let me start with Claxton. Um, yep. Yep. I, I just we did a video on him on the More Thinking Basketball channel earlier this season incredible timing as a shot blocker he's got that super high motor roams the paint well um when when claxton was on the court this season this was something that kind of solidified it in my head i was right on the line with him and then i ended up like being like okay my eyes aren't deceiving me when when claxton was on the court this season 
teams shot 62.5% at the rim against the Nets. 62.5% at the rim. When he went to the bench, they shot 67%. So that 4.5% difference, that's... That's a that's a pretty nice difference. And I think when you combine that with the fact that according to the optical tracking data, players are shooting 8% worse than expected near the basket, that is good enough for me to, to be in this conversation. I end up going with him um, on, on my ballot. I think the reason I didn't have Claxton in my final ballot is just because of his, his physical size. I think he can get bullied a little bit more in the paint, and I counted that inability to defend post-ups as well as these other guys as part of paint protection. I, li- I, I, that's, uh, I like that. I like that. There are no rules against that. Listen, listen. I can change. I was all aboard the Claxton defensive awards bandwagon early in the season i've cooled on that a little bit this isn't his season let's wait for another season to really to really push the class everyone stand down claxton folk we will come back another year when he's upgraded himself i mean you're no you're making me wonder if i should explicitly say next year this is not about your post defense this is about your help defense this is about your your ability to come in and but i don't know you're i mean you're making a face because it's still paint defense yeah, it's still you're still guarding someone in the post, and I know we've gone away from the post, but there's some big post guys that I think Claxton would struggle against. Okay, um, let's talk about Gobert. To me, the first half of the season, I'll, I'll use the word struggle, mm-hmm. right, relative to his performance in the past. It was definitely a struggle, not moving as well, different schemes, et cetera, et cetera. I think the last, I don't know, Two months. I don't know how much Minnesota Timberwolves. I can't. I I can't get off the Timberwolves. You know how I love my Knicks in the fourth quarter, Cody. Yeah. The Timberwolves in the fourth quarter are more like a heart attack. You never know what's <laughs> going to happen. Their game is going to end on a half court buzzer beater half of the time. There will be an officiating controversy. Anthony Edwards will do both the greatest and sort of silliest thing in the final two minutes of the game. Um, Gobert is fouling out. I mean, just he's getting he's getting upset and he's fouling out. Jim Peterson is explaining something in the X's and O's. It, it, it's a roller coaster. <laughs> it's, a, it's really an experience, the Minnesota Timberwolves, ladies and gentlemen. Anyway, uh, Rudy Gobert the last two months has, has, has done a really good job. Really, really good job. Back to his old ways, just in terms of protecting the paint, moving better, I think. And um, it's made them feisty. It's made them, it's made them really, really solid. And I think his best skill that he's kind of recouped from from earlier in the season is his rim deterrence. So I still think his activity around the rim itself is much lower than I've seen in past years, but players just don't challenge him quite as much as he's there. He's quick enough to like step out, get back to the rim, rotate around, and I think that's his best quality. Still finished fifth on my ballot. Not not the runaway first pick that I had last year for the Thinkies. Yep, he was fourth on my ballot. And to your point about rim deterrence, when you look at these guys... Yes, the percentage, uh, the field goal percentage that teams shoot at the basket goes down when Gobert is out there. But the big one for me, and I think it's consistent over multiple seasons, but I, I just don't have it off the top of my head, so I don't want to misquote it, is the number of shots teams take in the painted area, right? Mm. Like the number of shots they actually attempt because they're just not going in. It's just not easy to get in there and get a comfortable look. And this season, when he's off the court, they take uh, opponents take four more shots at the basket, in addition to shooting four and a half percent better, like Claxton, with with the Claxton data, I cited basically the same number of shots when he's on and off the court. Team's still going in there, challenging him, shooting. He's just altering shots or having some effect in that way. Gobert is like 
teams want to want to get in there, but they can't. They end up shooting more jumpers. I'm going to cite this stat a little bit later, but to add a little bit more color to it. A little opponent, bit later. We're an hour oh, and ten. We're, we got to finish up the show. <laughs> what are we doing it, a part it, two? A little bit later in this segment. <laughs> part, part two is just going to be us talking about every single rim protector in the league. But opponent rim frequency, like uh, the, the frequency of shots that they take at the rim when Ro- Gobert is off the court, is 35%, drops down to 28% when he's on the court. It's a seven percentage point swing just with his presence. Yeah. Um, all right. Where were we? Those those were the oh Walker Kessler is the third mm-hmm. guy. Just a really quick shout out. I wasn't sure what to do with Walker Kessler. I just don't see enough Utah Jazz to be super comfortable taking him over these other players ahead of him. The one thing I want to say about him, he's done he's done a fantastic job replacing Gobert. But his length, man, his his length is insane. Like it sneaks up on people constantly where you think you got by him and you try a little Jordan Poole scoop shot. Nope. He got that. Or he tries to get to the, you try to get to the other side of the basket and reverse. And he's just got these, like, how are his arms that long? Just really impressive stuff. So it'll be interesting to see if he can continue to grow and kind of add all the other stuff that we associate with this communication, awareness, rotations, but just playing that similar role, drop coverage, protecting the rim, um, you know, containing the ball or, or blocking shots if they get by you. He, uh, he's, he's just done such a good job. I haven't said it yet this year, but last year, a big key that's going to go over to Walker Kessler, rookie tax. That's the, that's the one thing. I think he looks incredible. Some of the block, he's like the king of standing like underneath the basket and a player shoots from seven feet away and he's like, oops, and then just gets <laughs> there and blocks it. it. It's incredible. He's a rookie. I need to see it for another season before I'm going to get him in here. All right, we have a tie for fifth place. That tie is between um, Miles Turner hmm. and the correct answer, Evan Mobley. The correct answer for fifth <laughs> or being on the list? What's that? Because I, 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 I had Mobley third on my list. I think, I don't know, I think Mobley's a very, very... I think the second half of the season for Evan Mobley, he's gone from being a great defensive rim protector. The second half, he's like, oh my God. This is the guy that we've been looking for. And I think his mobility on the perimeter, what maybe I took a little bit off. Like, I could have put him, like, number two even here. Maybe. One and two are pretty unimpeachable for me. Uh, But it's so hard to differentiate between the stuff that he and Allen do on the court together. But, man, Evan Mobley is just incredible on defense. Well, interestingly, the... um the the numbers when Jared Allen goes to the bench, they actually get better for Mobley. So if you look at the Cavs defense, mm-hmm. team shoots sixty three percent at the rim when Mobley's on the court. When Jared Allen goes to the bench, I said they get better. I lied. Um, no, I didn't lie. Sixty two is lower than sixty three. We can we can do this. We'll make it through this together. Uh, let me let me try it again. They take twenty eight shots per one hundred at the rim and they shoot 63%. When Mobley's out there without Jared Allen, they take 27 shots at the rim and they shoot 62%. So there isn't just this synergy between them or there isn't just this like he's uh, piggybacking off of the presence of this other traditional drop big shot blocker behind him. And Cody, we'll talk about this more in a second when we talk about the winners here, but like, the ability to read plays, rotate early, 
and kind of react quickly with his incredible mobility and kind of like Gumby inspector gadget turning and twisting thing. That is a massive part of paint defense to me versus just the vertical component. And of course he does have great skills in the vertical component. So, um, I, I have no complaints there. Miles Turner, obviously a great shot blocker as well. What I find really interesting, though, when Mobley and Allen are on the court together, their defensive rating is 112, right? When Mobley's on without Allen, it's 110.8. So it's even better without Allen. I'm not done yet, Ben. When Allen's on without Mobley, it goes to 109.5. So their best defensive rating with those combinations is actually when Allen is on the court without Mobley. Yeah. Wait a second. Hold on. My math is failing me again. What did you say Mobley was without Allen? Mobley without Allen is 110.8. Oh, okay. So M- Allen without Mobley is, is a point better. Yeah, it's a point better. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, I'm okay. um, Number four, number four, Jared Allen. <laughs> See, yeah. That, you, that's the thing. They're both, I think, tremendous uh, rim protectors. I had Mobley a little above, just one spot above Allen on my ballot, just because I think he's a little bit more mobile. But I think near the rim, Jared Allen is... Uh, Rudy Gobert of we used to say Rudy Gobert of the Midwest, but Rudy Gobert is in the Midwest now, so it's it's all just confusing. Yeah, um, number three, still with just twenty nine percent of the vote, uh, Draymond Green, and this is the guy for me that just epitomizes how powerful positioning, communicating, awareness, and reading plays are when it comes to defending the paint. Yes, of course, we can talk about switchability, isolation defense, all the other categories we've talked about. And as I've said before, I think his 2022 season is criminally and and tragically underrated by the basketball world. I think that was arguably the best defensive season of the last decade. Hmm. I personally would have voted him defensive player of the year just because I don't care about games played and all that stuff. But even with the games played delta, I still think he had a very strong traditional argument for defensive player of the year. And then he was incredibly important and fantastic in the playoffs in the championship run. So I say that to say that I don't think he's been quite as good this season. His conditioning at the beginning of the season wasn't quite as good, but like a minor drop from 2022 Draymond to 2023 Draymond is still a fantastic defensive player. I'm not sure how many guys I'd rather have defensively going into the postseason. And even though he doesn't have this big vertical shot blocking presence, if you look at the Warriors numbers um, and you look at his sort of similar numbers in terms of trying to gauge paint protection that we've used in this show, first of all, players shoot 12% worse than expected on his shots that he defends within six feet of the basket. 12% worse than expected. It's one of the best numbers in the league. And I've said this before. I look at the team. I look at the teammates. I look at kind of the general environment there. The next closest warrior is Jonathan Kuminga at 5%. That's a a pretty big drop-off. Anthony Lamb, 4%. Kavon Looney, 4%. So Draymond's out on an island by himself when he defends shots. Then we can look at the overall team numbers that we were citing earlier for these guys. And this is just weird. I'm sure someone has written an article about this and I've just missed it in the grind of the season. Uh, When Draymond's on the court, opponents only take 18 shots per 100 at the basket. Just as a refresher, 
26 per 100, 27 per 100, 25 per 100. That's the numbers we're talking about with these other players. I don't know what's going on. It's like a it's a holistic thing with Golden State's defense because when he's off the court, they they take 22 per 100. So it's still a low number relative to other teams. So they're they're doing something there in terms of giving up more short mid-range. The home the scorekeeper at home might be you know, four feet is actually seven feet is six feet. I don't, I don't know what's going on, but these are crazy. These are arguably some of the most impressive numbers in the league. We talked about Rudy Gobert and his deterrence. Draymond Green deters shots by rotating or by communicating other players into position. And so he actually has a larger difference in the number of shots taken uh, at the rim, according to the play-by-play. Four and a half fewer shots are attempted by the opponent when he's on the court and teams shoot four percentage points worth. So it's Cody, it's almost like the same footprint as Rudy Gobert. And and of course this is Draymond is not a vertical defender. So, so that's my, that's my spiel on shot blocking being overly, overly indexed. I don't know if anger is the feeling I have right now, Ben, but I like right here, I didn't share it with you. I have this nice little table of the exact numbers that you just read. And I'm like, I cannot wait to uncork these when you get to Draymond because this, this rim deterrence, this idea of how many shots the opponent shoots when he's on the court versus every other rim protector we're talking about is incredible. It's the only one that has a opponent rim frequency under 20. And here you are. You, you just looked it up and, and you, you know it all, right? Draymond Green is so good at this. I just want to reiterate that. His rotations, the ability to move all around the court and know exactly what the, what the offense is going to do and just shut it down, it's incredible. Uh, teams shoot 67% against the Warriors when Draymond's on the court. So that's not as good as the you know 62% with Allen, 63% with Mobley. Um, but what jumped out to me, Cody, is that like, when when Draymond's out there with without Kavon Looney, so presumably like what the Warriors are always all, already small, but when he's playing these lineups without Kavon Looney, they teams only shoot sixty six percent anyway. They actually they actually shoot worse at the basket when Draymond is out there without Kavon Looney this season. Um, yeah, I he he was he was second for me, but he's third here. He was second. Oh, yep, I wonder second. which of the because I have a feeling I know who the top two are. I'm interested. You think to see. you know who the top two are? You're you're definitely right. If you're listening at home and and waiting for this uh, sort of best picture announcement at the end of the show, should I reveal and then we can discuss? Yeah, I just want to know who who got bumped out for you. Uh, these, uh, I think these were two of the only players that were on every ballot across all the categories. These were on everyone's ballot. Second place. It hurts me to say this. I'm upset about this. Oh, I'm sorry, but I'm not. I'm really not. 70, 70% vote share. Uh, Jaron Jackson Jr. is robbed in this category. Number Absolutely one, the win, not. The winner, the winner of the 2023 Finky for best paint protector mm-hmm. goes to another Milwaukee Buck. This mm-hmm. is just ridiculous. Deer noises, baby. Yeah. Brooke Lopez takes it with 80% of the share. And you don't agree with this. Well, I mean, I had Brooke Lopez in my top three, but I had, I, I had Jaron uh, number one. I was, I was in that group. There were splits. Some people had Jaron first. Some people had him second. Lopez has a much more interesting distribution. He's either first or third. Hmm. Yeah. So I think with Jaron, 
this is going back to like what I was saying with Bam when it comes to like if you were to have most flexible pick and roll defenders, Jaren's right at the top of the list for me, right? And I think that ability to move around in space does deter players from getting to the basket. But in terms of like we have a drop big defender who's a defense unto himself and we kind of don't need to worry about everything else, even though we already have Javon Carter and Drew Holiday and Giannis Antetokounmpo and all these other great defenders. Brooke Lopez, to me, is just like, all right, we've got him in the center. We're good, right? We can focus on the other aspects of the game. That's kind of how I viewed it, because I, I just feel like when you, he's posted up near the rim, it, it's just over. He's a tree down there. Well, I would say that's true, except I would say Jaron's better and more versatile. In This is a, a long... Long dramatic pause. Do you want me to? Do you want yeah, me to? Yeah, uh, say more. Say more. Elaborate. Yeah. Okay. Because what's what's different between that and what I just said about he would be a more versatile pick and roll defender? Is it just kind of what you're saying there? No, no, no. I'm just saying that I think the the thinking that um, Lopez is a tree and a defense unto himself is fine, but maybe you're saying that that is better than if Jaron is at the middle of your defense. I mean, let's let's just th- this is something that persuaded me or or made me feel more comfortable about going one way than the other. And, and just to be clear, because uh, we're coming to the end of the show here for the seven people still listening, um, <laughs> the amount of film study that I have to put into this podcast basically takes the whole year. It, that's why Cody gets very stressed about it. It is, it is an excruciating task. And then there's a small amount of data. So in the basketball analysis world, it is really the area where you need sort of like the most contextual visual analysis and you have not that much data to draw on. In this category, just to point, and we can get to, we can get to style and break them down if you want or whatever. But in this category for me, looking at the fact that Brooke Lopez plays for the Milwaukee Bucks and he has Giannis Antetokounmpo on his team, right? Okay. Teams shoot 62% at the rim against Brooke Lopez when he's on the court. And they shoot 69% at the rim when he's off the court. That's a gorgeous 7% difference. I mean, that's fantastic. And they take four fewer shots, which is what we're talking about with Draymond and Lopez. I mean, uh, Draymond and Rudy Gobert. So it's fantastic. And I'm sure, Cody, that's where you came from. But for me, man, like, you want to guess the field goal percentage of opponents when Jaron Jackson Jr. is on the court at the rim? You should say it because I have my numbers here and I have, I'm ready to respond to when you're done. It's 57%. It's 57%. What the heck? Uh, that's, that's nine incredible. percentage points better than when he's on the bench. And it gets crazier because I was like, well... You know, Memphis has a good defensive team. Steven Adams has had a great year. No, no, it's 57% when Steven Adams is on the bench. So there's your defense. Your defense is Jaron Jackson. And when I turn on the game, especially games I scouted this week for this project, um, there was one game against Chicago. He's the he's the big. He's the big out there. I mean, I guess they're playing some lineups with Xavier Tillman, but Xavier Tillman is not really... Uh, a huge paint guy. I guess he's similar in that he's a sturdy body to Steven Adams, but Jaron Jackson Jr. is the center. He's the defense unto himself. And I shared it with I shared it with the group. He has like three blocks and three straight plays where he just destroys everything in the in the paint. And he also, just as an added bonus, does this by closing out to the perimeter 
and then recovering back into the play. So he's able to do all this. And because of that mobility, versatility, I think it makes him just as formidable as a defense unto himself. So let me let me let me respond here. I apologize to the four of you now that are still listening, but we, we got to hash oh, this ouch. one out. You you have to me. You have to the audience <laughs> on my spiel. So so here's well, it's because they all knew that I was going to respond and I was going to convince you, you, and that would be the end of the episode. Well, are you gonna, are you going to mention are you going to mention that uh, the Grizzlies' defensive rating with Jaron Jackson on the court is one hundred eight point seven this season? Let's let's talk for a second. Though. Okay. Let's talk for a second. So overall, listen, listen. This isn't defensive player of the year. I think Jaron Jackson overall is a better defensive player than Brooke Lopez. Fair. Right? Yeah. I I will say that. Okay. But that difference you said with the rim field goal percentage for opponents. If we look at the rim frequency numbers that we were just talking about before, opposing rim frequency, there's only a a like a one differential between when Jaron is on versus when he's off. Yeah. Whereas it's like a negative five differential with Brooke Lopez. Right. They shoot five percentage points worse when Brooke Lopez is on the court but you might say well yeah Giannis right we have this thing where Brooke Lopez is on the court with Giannis and that has a big aspect of it let me read you some more numbers I'm sorry this is devolving into number time but you know we had a lot of other film study early on it's time for some numbers at the end here when Brooke and Giannis are on the court together about a 110 defensive rating all right 110 defensive rating when Giannis is on without Brooke Lopez about a 115 defensive rating Ben Brooke on the court Without Giannis and Tedekumbo, a 108 defensive rating. 108. And he's holding the rim frequency in those situations is about 25. So he's holding, it's about the same defensive rating as when Jaron's on the court. Neither of them have Giannis on the court at the same time. And the rim frequency is even lower. I agree with you. The rim field goal percentage is better or it's more impressive for Jaron Jackson. But I think overall, some of those numbers make me be like, yeah, Brooke is, is, is the paint protector. Who do you think is a better shot blocker? A better shot blocker? Jared yeah. Jackson. Who do you yeah. think is better at rotating and identifying weaknesses and coming over and helping in that situation? Well, hold up. You just told me that shot blocking isn't necessarily as important when Correct. it comes to no, this. I'm, I'm just, yeah. I'm just wanna, I just want to dissect this. I think it's an interesting comparison. Who well, do you think is better it's... at identifying threats and rotating over to help? Well, that's tougher because Jaron covers more ground. Like I said, a better defensive player. But Brooke, you can just kind of station him more at the rim, and that's where he's great at defense. Jaron, I see a lot of, like, he's guarding the guy in the corner because he's quick enough to be able to recover. But it's also one of those things where you have a BAM-like defense, not that it's the same kind of defense. But when you keep the guy away from the paint, he's going to be doing some productive things, but it's not rim protection as much as, like, the guy that's hanging out near the basket is. The only thing I don't like here is the... This this guy on his team is at 109, and this other guy on his team is at 108, and therefore the 108 is better because mm. I'm I'm sensing we've we've got more access to this data now than we did 10 years ago, which is fantastic. It's it's yes. made us more knowledgeable as a basketball population. But we have to remember that reducing an individual player, especially on defense, to his team's defensive rating when we're comparing two different teams. Mm-hmm. Um, is a bit of a trap because scheme and the minutes they play and then of course like the defensive talent is is not a one-to-one thing you don't just get to go one guy's 109 and one guy's 108 with all that said um i just wanted to i just wanted to talk about this juxtaposition i think they're they're very different players and uh brooke lopez is obviously obviously great and a and a worthy a worthy winner of the 2023 thinky for Best paint protector, which get what me, means the Bucks won. Let's recap this for everyone. 
Um, the Bucks won all the categories. We, See, they we got best. had... You, so, sorry, what was that? I, I was going to read them off. You go for it. You go for it. Oh, yeah. Go ahead. You read them. I, that's better than me. I'm actually just straight up looking at my ballot, which isn't exactly it. You okay, probably have no, the results we, in front of you. We can't read your ballot. Uh, <laughs> nail, nail defense. The winner was Drew Holiday with 42% of the vote share. Um, best hands. The thinking for best hands went to Alex Caruso with 44% of the vote share. Best point of attack defender went to Drew Holiday again with 80% of the vote share. Best uh, screen navigator, I guess we didn't technically give that out because it was too similar. That would have been Drew again. Best motor with 80% of the vote share goes to Jared Vanderbilt. Best isolation defender, everyone's brain was blown by this thing. I mean, Draymond Green won with 44%. Of the vote share, two other guys over 40%, including Jaden McDaniels, who appears on a ton of ballots, and the aforementioned Drew Holiday. Um, switchable defender, Bam Adebayo, with the thinky with 88% of the vote share, edging out Draymond Green, who had 68%. Paint protector, our final category, the thinky for best paint protector, Brooke Lopez wins it with 80% of the vote share. Jaron Jackson was 70% of the vote share. A lot of guys we talked about. Cody, any big takeaways in terms of versatility and players appearing on ton of ballots or names that were stragglers that uh, we need to mention to, to, to honor the defensive gods before we get out of here? Man, this is so. There are a couple guys I want to bring up, but we're at the hour and a half mark. One one guy I was surprised that actually didn't come up in like just point say of the name. You, we don't have to do the analysis. It, just as long as it's not Javon Carter, just say All the right. name. <laughs> DeAnthony Melton. I, would, I was a little surprised we didn't hear more DeAnthony Melton today. Okay, that. I thought you were going to throw uh, uh, Denny Avdia. Man, us. that's another. Sorry, I got really excited. That's another episode for another day. He should have. He should have been mentioned in the switchable, but that's that's another day. Yeah, I think I think the only other one. Um, I don't think I had him anywhere on my ballot, but he had a few straggling votes here and there. Maybe was someone like Bruce Brown. Maybe mm. that was. I think I think we covered our bases for um, just about. Every, yeah, Mikhail Bridges' name came up once, didn't it? I, th- I think he came up at yeah. some point. I find it odd. I don't think he was on any of my ballots, but it's odd that Giannis also didn't come up anywhere. Giannis, I just was like, he was on the fringe for me, and mm-hmm. and, and I just figured other people would have him or he would get... But uh, yeah, the category that would be obvious for him was paint protector, and he did not get any votes and paint protector and frankly having done the exercise and we walked through all the players like it was it was seriously tough sledding I had Anthony Davis originally thinking like oh he's going to be a top five paint protector Mm -hmm. and I think I think he didn't get past like eighth or ninth for me when I when I was trying to make a a final cut I think if we had Romer he'd probably at least make some ballots if we had a Romer category yeah if, if you're still listening um Throw out some throw out some categories and suggestions for next year, especially if you watch this all the way through on YouTube. Uh, you you are awesome. Just put that put that comment right down there below because I think next year we're going to have to continue to update the categories to kind of bend and flow to the way the game is played today. Huge thanks to everyone who who voted and participated in this. A big thanks to all of you listening out there. Um, if you want to support us, patreon.com slash thinkingbasketball. That's obviously the place we have our daily stats leaderboard that updates with some of these defensive stats that we mentioned today for each player and for teams. Um, otherwise, 
that is it for me. I, I hope you enjoyed this. This is one of my favorite podcasts to get to do. Next episode is another one. We get to the playoff preview with our old friend Dave Dufour. The regular season is finally, finally coming to an end. It is time for playoff basketball. So wherever you're listening from, I do hope that you are having a great day.